today's scripture passage comes from Galatians 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they go to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain people came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of all of them, You are a Jew, yet you live up like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we find we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For though the law, I died to the law so that I may live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank You for allowing us to gather together as Your family, seeking Your direction, seeking Your energy, Your wisdom, giving You praise for allowing us to attempt to worship You and to focus on You. Father, we ask that You, even this week, would give us opportunity to be Your witnesses that those who we come in contact with might see Jesus living in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, the um, uh, scripture 
is coming from the book of Galatians, chapter 2. We looked at Galatians 1 several weeks ago, but we've had some different guest speakers in and done some different things in the middle there. So we're going to take a little time to go ahead and uh, remind ourselves for just a moment what Galatians 1 had to say. But move right on into Galatians 2. This week has been a very interesting week for me. The uh, uh, Chinese Baptist Fellowship of North America met in our building, and we had people close to something along the line of 180 to 200 people that were involved from many, many churches across North America. And it was really exciting for me to get to see some of these brothers and sisters and hear their testimonies. But I was really reflecting on the fact that this organization, it meets once every two years, and they've been meeting for 38 years. So this year's was, I think, their 19th meeting. And I've been to a number of these meetings over the years, and this is one of those typical shake hands, smile a lot kind of meetings. You're not always sure it's the most valuable thing you've ever done in your entire life when you go to the meeting. Um, but at the same time, it's so encouraging to hear what God is doing in other places. Uh, how God is giving new creative ideas and burden to different people and to watch how they're responding to the Holy Spirit. And I remember one conversation I had with several guys that were uh, from the mainland, being mainland China, the other mainland, the big one over there. Um, and uh, we got off into a particular topic trying to understand what uh, what their lives were like because they were talking about having gone to the Nanjing Seminary, the Jingling Century, and, and that they had studied there and that it had been a good experience and that they had certain friends that I knew. And we began to talk about some of those friends, this kind of thing. But the main thing was they were talking about how the Lord had been blessing in their work on this side of the ocean because they had immigrated and were currently living in the United States and had started churches where they were living. And gradually, I had opportunity to hear that indeed uh, we had a, a certain session where we had five different people who were sharing. Well, now, when the Chinese Baptist Fellowship was first started, and indeed until not too many years ago, church planting was not the center of what they were doing. And so, um, hearing them talk about how God had blessed, one particular fellow was sharing how they had started with a, a group of about 25 people as a core group, and within a fairly short period of time, within two years, they were running close to 200 people in that particular church because it, they were in an area where there were no other Mandarin-speaking churches, and they just drew people and were baptizing and watching the Holy Spirit do a miraculous thing. It was such a wonderful time of reporting as they share different things. And I mention this reporting primarily because as we look at chapter 2 of Galatians, we are looking at a report. It's uh, Paul kind of challenging the Galatian church in saying that he has been active in what he has been doing. And he's trying to help them to understand what his background is. Well, as I said, this is in chapter 2 of Galatians. Chapter 1, now we need to realize that the Galatian churches, it was sort of like a consortium of churches in a particular area of Turkey. And so the, it, when it says it's to the Galatian church, it means the churches in that area as they gathered together. 
And it's a, basically, chapter 1 is, a, is a, a, a reminder that he was, Paul, the church planter for, that number, for the, a number of those churches that were in Galatia. And he said, you know, I loved you, I started you, I cared about you, and you're all under the call of God to serve. And I warned you in chapter 1, as this is what Paul says, Paul was saying in chapter 1 that he was reminding them that the gospel needed to remain pure. And he was reminding them that if they added other things or had other people come into their midst who added to the gospel for requirements for what it was to be a follower of Christ, that indeed they would receive their punishment. And so as we move into chapter 2, Paul is going on and sharing a little bit further. And as we just read, it says that 14 years of time had gone by since he had started following Christ. And we know that Christ was uh, ascended to heaven in somewhere between the year 31 and 35 A.D. And Paul didn't become a Christian until right after that. And so Paul, um, who had been a primary cruci- uh, 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 critique, critic of the uh, church and certainly a persecutor of the church, became significant in his own right as he became a follower of Christ in 36 A.D. And um, so it says 14 years later, kind of gives us the idea, it was somewhere around 50 A.D., when Paul had gone to Jerusalem and that this report came out. And Paul felt it his responsibility to go in and find the Christians. Again, not like, not very different from what we were hearing with the CBF. This week, as the Chinese Baptist Fellowship of North America came together, we got to hear all these great reports of what God had been doing and what God has been up to in starting new work and starting new churches. Well, missions without... Development of church and maturing of the church is activity. And so it's, it, was, it was so encouraging this week to hear these people saying, we've been doing different kinds of ministries that support missions, but the main thing we've been watching is how Christ has, has worked in the hearts of men, people making decisions for Christ and gathering together to serve Christ through the church. Paul goes and he says, I'm going to give a report. I want people to catch up. So he says, 14 years have gone by and I went to Jerusalem. So I want all you people here at Galatia to understand my task. And 14 years have passed and I went in there and I, I shared my heart with them. And I tried to explain to them exactly what God had been doing in my life. Now, I was serving over this 14 years with the, the Gentiles, the non-Jews of their society. And this was a big step for him. Um, and he, he mentioned that he met with those people of high reputation or of high esteem. Uh, extra care by Paul uh, to not see confusion uh, occur was the, the, the goal of sharing. It was not because he was just there to get money from them to support him in his task. He felt that he had a responsibility to the larger church congregation. And so he went to Jerusalem, found the main leadership within the church and shared this. And so to the Galatians, he continued to share that the apostles um, sustained the decision of the Antioch church to that point that they actually, the apostles who were listening to his sharing, uh, supported him in his uh, encouraging uh, the Gentiles not to bother to try to become Jews. Now this is your issue of following the law 
are following truly what Christ would guide. And so he was saying, following the law of Moses was never the right reason. Now, there was a reason for that, and that's because we look in about verse 3 and 4 and 5 along in there, and we hear about the Judaizers, the ones who said they had become Christians, but were demanding people, uh, especially they were demanding that, that they would go ahead and follow the laws of Moses in order to confirm their true faith. Now, what they really meant was in order to confirm that those people became more like a Jew. And Paul said that is not what we were ever taught. That is not what you know and I know to be correct. So following the Mosaic Law is not our answer. We've always said that following Christ was the task, not to follow the Mosaic Law. In verse 5 it says, The truth of the gospel was that all races and nationalities are to be reached for Christ. It says, We did not give in to them for one moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. In other words, the pressure was on him by these Judaizers as they came into the midst of those leaders and that kind of thing within the Jewish, uh, or within Jerusalem to compromise, to go back to the old ways, to go back to following the rules and regulations of the Jewish law. And Paul says, we never in any way surrendered to that idea. We knew it was wrong in the first place. And so, therefore, we needed to remind ourselves, our task, the truth of the gospel, is for all men, for all people, all races, and all creeds. Paul knew the law. Paul was an expert. He was a Pharisee who had become a Christian. And for 14 years, he had been using his background, his religious understanding, to be able to be an apologetic individual in sharing with these Gentiles and helping them to understand what old teaching did exist and how it didn't really matter, but the main thing was to follow Christ. For 14 years, he had been reaching out to people that had not been being reached out to by other Jewish background Christians. Paul said, it's my responsibility to make this report so that people will be encouraged and that they will understand. He allowed his, his history to assist him in his work. In verses 7 to 8, he again refers to the fact that everybody needs Jesus. Verse 8 says, For God, who was at work in Peter, as an apostle to the circumcised, being the Jews, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. He's explaining to these men in Jerusalem, I work and do what I do because I am compelled to work. Brothers and sisters, the thing I want to challenge you and me on is to ask if we dare to pray for God to compel us for our lives. To compel us to do whatever we're doing. Are we doing it because we choose it or it's the easiest path or it's the path of our mother, our father, anybody else? The Scripture says that we are compelled in the same way if we are truly seeking His will for our lives. He was compelled. He was burdened for the people of Guatemala. If we want to think about application for us today, the one thing we need to recognize in a in a sermon or when we study the Scripture, if we allow our study of the Scripture to remain merely an academic experience, trying to gain more knowledge without application, 
It's like we have a, a, a brand new car sitting in front of our house and your father or your friend or whatever says, I'm giving you that car. The only trick is, I'm not going to give you the keys. You can look at it. You can talk about it. You can show anybody how pretty it is. But you can't have the keys. In other words, the car was made for the purpose of being able to get you around and going to different places, not just to look pretty sitting in front of your house. As Christians, we're the same. Our work, our service must have application. Paul understood that. He challenged them with that. And he said, my life is to those who you are not reaching. My life is to the Gentiles. I have done it for 14 years. I'm reporting it today. I'm not asking you, is it okay? I've come here to let you know what God has put on my heart. If you have a burden for Guatemala, praise God. If you have a burden for Seattle, praise God. If you have a burden for China, praise God. The church's responsibility is to encourage and help and assist you to be able to follow what God has put in your heart. And we want to see that happen. And Peter had a different issue in his heart. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in, verses, in verse 9, it says, James and Peter, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized that the grace was given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, blessed by the apostles for their great work to keep on going was what occurred in their lives. So they had gone, they had reported, and the reporting had worked. The other brothers and sisters, possibly the ones that he had high regard for, high respect for, had said to him, praise God, I bless you in every way. Go forward and serve. And they said, now we, don't forget, whatever you're doing, there are, there are unfortunate people in our world. In other words, not saying that ministry to the social service ministries takes the place of evangelism, but it's saying that evangelism that totally ignores the needs of, the, of people is wrong. It's saying, care for the poor. Don't forget them. And of course, Paul said, that's already a part of my burden. I can't forget them. I do realize I have responsibility. I want to reach out and be salt and light beyond just sharing the gospel. But the gospel is still the core of my identity. And for 14 years, I've been dedicated to this. Now, that's not 14 days. He didn't go on a short-term mission trip. We're talking about a man that culturally moved into a new society and was working within that society. Now remember, these are Jewish people. He, being Jewish, working within the circle of Gentiles. He had stepped in and moved in deeply. Normally, from a missionary perspective, we talk about a person who commits to becoming a missionary as a person who goes, they learn their language, learn their culture, they get involved in the new society, they understand what their daily experiences are. This was 
who Paul was. And so he came to these men knowing that they could have almost any kind of response toward what he said. But instead, what he found very much was a gracious heart by people who said, Paul, you're doing the right thing. You're doing it correctly. You're giving all you are to your service and we're glad. We give you our right hand of fellowship. Well, Paul goes on as he's talking to this church or these churches of Galatia. And he says, churches of Galatia, I understand that you may be a little confused by this, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. You know, in Antioch, there's Peter. Peter's kind of an interesting guy. And he goes on and he says, you know, Peter and I had some conflict. I opposed him directly to his face. Verse 11. Verse 12, he says, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. When they arrived, he began to draw back. In other words, there was a point there where Peter was showing that he was willing to go cross-cultural. He was willing to be a little bit less focused just on people like himself. Like himself. He was saying, I realize that God loves all people. I'm willing to do what it takes. But when he had a few people from his own background who showed up, he feared they would judge him. He feared their criticism and he began to back up. Basically, I would call him a sunny weather friend. When things are going well, okay, he'll do what he needs to do. But when the pressure comes on, it was a difficult issue. Verse 13 says, Other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. The point being from Paul's perspective, Peter's attitude of saying, I am open to anyone becoming a follower of Christ. And then when the pressure came on, you back away. You're a hypocrite. And the unfortunate reality is, as we've said many times in this church, we do not sin in isolation for its impact on other people. We do not sin independently because it does impact other people. And that's what happened here. Because we can see that Paul is, is so disappointed in Barnabas because early in verse 9, Barnabas was one of the ones that received the shake, the handshake of fellowship. The success of having been willing to go cross-cultural with his life and his ministry. These other people thought of him as being a quality servant of Christ. And here, we're beginning to see that even Barnabas was shaken. Brothers and sisters, lest you ever think that you are beyond the possibility of being shaken for your faith or shaken for your commitment or shaken for your dedication, you are wrong. We are all susceptible to sin. It can step into any of our lives and tempt us at any moment. And Paul was so disappointed in Barnabas that he said he saw it as hypocrisy. You see, in their culture, again, a Middle Eastern culture, eating was a symbol. It was a symbol of acceptance. You know, I think if he was in a Far Eastern culture, he would have found the same. I can personally remember the first time I ate dog meat. Um, <clears throat> that was an interesting day. I remember the first time I ate civet cat. That's the one that became the SARS animal. I ate the first time I ate frog's legs. 
Stinky tofu, durian, snake. Every time I, anytime I, the first time I ate any of those, I remember thinking, I can't believe I'm putting this in my body. But I did. Gradually, I would say that from the friends that I was with, I became, became an acceptable outsider. I was still a white guy. I still spoke Cantonese with a funny accent. But they noticed that I was at least willing to give it a try to step into their culture. Paul saw that Peter and the Jews, in their hypocrisy as persons, as being people with no true conviction, they, when the, when the difficult times came, when the struggles came, they would break. They would back away from the testimony because they had given a testimony of equality toward the Gentiles. They had been with them. He had slept with them. He had eaten with them. They had all been together as a family. But when his own people showed up, he was afraid of criticism. Now, the reason I mention this, again, from a principle perspective, from an application perspective, we have to say to ourselves, lest I walk the same path. Do I dare to criticize him? Do I dare to say, Peter, look at you. One more time, Peter. You know, we look at Peter's history. Peter has done this before. Peter's the one that, that was with Christ walking and saying, Hey, Jesus, remember, I'm your best friend. Lo Yaogei, that's me. You know, you need anything, I'm here. And then within just a very short period of time, he denied Christ. And Christ even said, Get behind me. You know, Peter, Peter had a history of being a real brave follower until the pressure hit. And one more time, we see it here. But, you know, lest, I, lest we dare say, Peter, wow, you really, you're really something. It's amazing God actually chose you to become so, such a significant leader in the church because you were such a failure so many times. The thing I think you and I need to remember is, praise God that He is so forgiving of you and me. Because we are failures. We have our good days, we have our bad days, but we're not as consistent as we would like to be. We're not as consistent as we should be. When the pressure hits and our friends put the pressure on us related to our Christian faith, how do we stand up? When we're in public and people see us, and we know doing something or saying something will get a certain result. How do we stand up? I think Peter gives us a good example, not of how we should uh, ride a roller coaster of successes and failures, but certainly he gives us a good example of the fact that the Lord is forgiving and gracious. Praise God we have the God we have. Surely for Paul, it must have been embarrassing. It must have been awkward for him to publicly have called out Peter and said in front of others. And the Scripture says in verses 14 and 15, indeed, he calls him out. He says, Peter, you're, you're inconsistent. Now, the challenge for you, the challenge for me, how consistent am I? 
Have I really thought through what I'm doing? Now, I'm not saying look religious all the time. But I am saying be sure you know why you're doing what you're doing. Our motivation is important. Finally, we begin to see in verse 15, it says, "Who We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we're God's select. You see, Paul understood that. He knew. He was, he was a Pharisee. He knew what his history had taught. He knew the law. And it goes on in verses 15, 16, 17, 18. He talks about the law. And he says, I know we've got the law back there. But guys, don't you remember? The law fails us and we fail it. The law fails us and we fail it. We can't live by it. We're not successful. It's too high. The standards are too high. As he says that, it's, it's amazing. I, I remember being in Wenzhou, which is on the eastern coast of China, and was with some friends, and we got off into a long discussion about uh, how, how much we all like to go out and get the uh, uh, frog legs. Because they love to take me for some reason. I don't know why. They always take me. Every time I go there, they take me out to some little place. I guess they still are just in amazement. This, this young lady, this foreigner can eat this junk. So we go out and we would eat this kind of stuff. But in the middle of one of the conversations, we were talking about, uh, one of them said he had just been eating some sunatong, uh, uh, the, the hot and spicy soup. Well, for those of you like me who love sunatong, it's, uh, you know, I can eat it forever. I think it's wonderful. But one of them said he had just come back from Guangzhou. So I asked him about whether or not he liked theirs. And he said it was very, very good. I said that's because they have a lot of pig's blood in it. Well, this guy is from Wenzhou. He almost died. He said, oh no, I've committed an unpardonable sin. I ate pig's blood. You know, and he, we went off into this. But the point was, he was trying to follow the law. He felt like eating of the blood would somehow impact his eternal salvation. And I told him, I said, you know, all you've done is proven to me you're just like all the rest of us. It's called being a sinner. And your sin is almost the opposite of what you think it is. You're worried about having eaten it. I'm worried that you're worried about eating it. You're so wrapped up in the law. You're being tied up by the law. According to what Paul is saying, Paul is reminding him, saying, guys, you can try as long as you want to. You're going to fail if you're trying to prove that you deserve salvation. My belief for you and for me is that salvation is strictly a gift. Yes, we need to be able to do works. Yes, we need to be able to, to follow Christ and be an example for others. But yes, that needs to be a result of the fact that we understand God did all the work. Christ on a cross, He on a cross did all the work. And that's what Paul's trying to remind them. And so he goes back and he reminds them in Romans 6, 6, same kind of Scripture. Romans 6, 6 refers to the old man being crucified. Well, the Scripture in here in verses 20 and 21, um, it says, I have been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life now I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave Himself for me. 
I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul challenged them to be certain that they had true faith and not just knowledge of Him. The challenge here is is very significant. He had dealt with Judaizers that had come in the middle and been saying, compromise, go back to the old law. And Paul was saying he could see the weakness of that view. But the thing that we have to realize, Paul was screaming in verse in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, let your life be defined by the gospel of Christ. Now, the reason I mention that is, in chapter 1, he talks about the dangers of adding to the gospel. The challenge for you and me is to remind ourselves what the word gospel even means. When you talk about the gospel, what is that? You know, for a non-Christian, they hear the word gospel, and it's almost like you're talking along on a sentence, and then you get to a certain point, and blah, blah, and then you keep going along, and then blah, 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 and keep it doesn't have any meaning. You have to give it a definition. Paul went to Jerusalem to give it a definition. He went into the midst of those people that he knew could be very critical of him, and he gave definition by saying, I am going and I'm telling the Gentiles what it is to have Jesus as Savior and Lord. What it is to stop being dependent on my own behavior, my own actions, on how I can work my way into God's graces. He says, you can't work your way into God's grace. And he tried to teach And the reason he brought that to the Galatian church was to remind them, to be a blessing to them. Today, my hope for you and for me is that this sermon from Paul is a blessing to us. That it says to us and reminds us our eternal lives are not dependent on the actions that we live, that we have in our daily lives. Our eternal life is dependent on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul and Peter, two people, same race. Paul and Peter, same religion. So why would they argue? Why was there a disagreement? You know, we tend to think, oh, if you're in a church, churches should never argue. Well, we can say they should not, but I think some of us have seen in our own church, we sometimes have different perspectives, wording that the nice way. But again, we have to look at this, and we have to ask, Paul has called out Peter. Now, if, <coughs> if there were those in our church that were living a lifestyle that you believe is harming, harmful to the witness of Christ, what would you do? If you have friends in this church, people you know who are living a lifestyle that you know is harming the witness of Christ, what would you do? If your Christian friend uses language that isn't correct, isn't appropriate for a Christian, what would you do? If your Christian friend talks behind the back of other people, the backs of others, and says things that's critical and backbiting, what would you do? 
If your friend has prejudices toward others, what do you do? If your friend has immoral habits, what do you do? If your friend has a different lifestyle on Sundays than he does Monday through Saturday, what is your responsibility? What do you do? Peter's job was to show love and witness to all humans, but he preferred working with his own kind. At that point, Paul was challenging Peter, saying, Peter, the world needs Jesus. This is not just a game, not a temporary thing. It's about why God created us. We must change our attitude. Now, understand, Peter did break through some barriers a little bit. He did try He went to the Gentiles and spent some time with them. But his his heart was still not what was one that would carry him through the long path. Paul was called to the non-Jewish people. It's important for us to know to whom we are called. You have one life. And what God would want to do with it is the most important thing that will ever happen to you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 It reminds us that it is by grace and not by works that we are saved. God loves us because God wants to love us, not because we earned His love. God loves us because He chooses to love us, not because we deserve it. Paul shows that he was created to be different and use his life differently. He was created to reach out beyond his own culture, his own community, his own language group, his own comfort zone. Paul says that he was crucified with Christ. The question I think for us today is, have you been crucified? Have you been crucified? Have your your desires and your goals, your attitudes toward people, your purpose in life, have you given them all to Jesus, to you? Are you willing to do whatever our world needs for Christ? That's your challenge and mine. Let us pray. Father, we come together today to worship you. We recognize that there are many ways to to worship. There are many cultures that worship differently. We come together here for growth. We come together for challenge. Most of all, we ask that Your Word would be our teacher. Father, help us to recognize that the testimony of Paul and Peter and others that we see in Scripture are not there just for us to read a nice little history book. But they are there for us to learn how we should live. And we would ask that you would be our teacher and be our guide for our daily experience. In Jesus' name.